All right, well, hey, everybody, welcome to Eaglebrook Church. Really good to have you with us today at all of our campuses. You know, Bob shot that video on Wednesday of this past week, and as you heard him say, we were just shy of $11 million, had about 2,500 households that were participating. I can tell you that as of yesterday, we're at $12.8 million with 3,100 households participating. So I want to thank you so much if you're one of those households that's jumped in in these last few days. But as you can tell, we still have a long ways to go to get to the 25 million so that we can put a campus in the west suburbs of the Twin Cities. And I would really, we would just love to have 100% participation. My wife and I made our commitment this week, and I'll tell you something, it was a moment of joy of God. We get to use what you've been so gracious to give to us to make a difference in someone else's Life, We were so grateful to be participating where God is working. And so if you're a person who wants to be a part of this, uh, just don't wait. After church, go on our website, eaglebrookchurch.com slash one by one. Make a seat, provide a seat for someone who provided one for you. All right, well, we are in the third week of a series called Anchor Deep. And we got that title from a story that author Max Lucado tells about when he was trying to tie down his houseboat before a hurricane hit. He was tying it down to the dock. He was tying it down to trees. When all of a sudden, this old sailor walks by. And he goes, you need to anchor deep. That's good advice, whether you're in a hurricane or whether you're in a storm of life. So in this series, we've been trying to give you five anchor Bible verses that will help you to anchor deep in any storm that you face. Today's message is titled, When You're in Trouble. When you're in trouble and you need help, Where do you turn? Here's a verse from the Bible that I hope will help you. It's Psalm 46, verse one. It says that God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. You need to know today that if you are in big trouble, if you're in little trouble, if you've got trouble somewhere in between, you need to know that there is a God who is willing and ready to help you. Years ago, I had some mouse trouble. You have heard me talk about this before, but I hate mice. And I hate might not be a strong enough word. I am terrified of mice. My mom is scared of them as well, so maybe it's a genetic thing. I don't know. But shortly after my wife Sarah and I were married, we moved into our first house. And I was in my mid-20s, naive homeowner. And so one day I started noticing these black specks in our kitchen drawer. And I couldn't figure it out. I would clean out the specks and they'd show up again. And I kept looking at the drawer like, what's chipping off? Where is this coming from? A month and a half after I first noticed these black specks, I was throwing something away in the garbage when out of the corner of my eye, I saw something move in the garbage. I thought it was a mouse, but I wasn't entirely sure. So I called my wife Sarah downstairs. I said, hey, what's that in the garbage right there? She said, it's a mouse. I said, you know, that's what I thought as well. So I went and got my winter gloves and boots on, even though it was like 70 degrees outside. And I grabbed the garbage can, and my plan was I was going to fling this mouse out into the woods. But I got a little over-anxious, and I ended up clipping the garbage can on my hip, and the mouse fell about an inch from my foot. So I did like a little bunny hop as I implored this mouse to run for the woods. But he wasn't real bright. And he must have been stunned or weak because he just sat there. And so finally I took a stick and I flipped him into the woods and then I went running as fast as I could back into my house. 
And that's when it dawned on me that those black specks had been mouse droppings, that this mouse had been living in my house for a month and a half. Just to be careful, I put a trap in that same drawer and sure enough, two days later, caught another mouse twice the size of the first one. Now at this point, I should have been wondering, I wonder what those mice were doing to pass the time for a month and a half. I mean, a guy gets bored, you know, what are you gonna do? But it never crossed my mind until a couple nights later, I was down in the basement watching TV in the dark when all of a sudden this little itty bitty baby mouse came running out of my vent and almost ran over my feet. But I was really happy with how I handled the situation. I jumped up on the couch and started to scream. <laughs> my wife was on the phone with her mom at the time and right away she goes, mom, I gotta go, there's a mouse in the basement. <laughs> I said, how did you know though that there was a mouse in the basement? You I never said that to you. She said, well, I could tell by the way you were screaming. So at this point, I did what any guy in his mid-20s, you know, grown man would do. I called my daddy. And it was like 11.30 at night. My parents lived 50 minutes away. I said, Dad, I need you to come right now. I mean, not tomorrow, right now. And he said, son, you're on your own. <laughs> Which I reminded him might come up in a counseling session later on in life. But he, he stuck to his guns. So I went back and got my boots and gloves, grabbed a broom went downstairs, got two of the mice, went to bed knowing there was more. So I wore tennis shoes to sleep. I'm not kidding you, I was just like, I don't want them running over my feet, just paranoid. Jam towels underneath our bedroom door and I refused to go to the bathroom the whole night. I'm like, I'm not worth it, I'm not going out that door. Woke up in the morning, called a pest control company. Now here's my point. If you are in trouble in life, who would you call? You know, I called my dad on the phone and my dad said to me, son, you're on your own. Those were wise words considering the circumstances. But I wonder today how many of us, if you were in trouble, think that if you were to call upon God, that God's answer to you would be something along the lines of, you're on your own. I mean, you, you got yourself into this mess, why, why don't you try to figure your way out of it? was talking to a young man recently who said he feels like he needs to earn his keep. And I think that's an admirable characteristic except for when you're trying to earn your keep with God. Because he thought he had to prove himself worthy to God and then maybe God would help him. Was talking to a young woman. She said, I, I stopped praying, I stopped reading the Bible, I stopped attending church. I said, how come? She said, because I'm doing some things that I know that God doesn't want me to do. And so I gotta get that figured out. I gotta make some changes in my life, get my act together, and then I'll start coming back to church again. I want her and you today to know what a distorted view of God that is. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who cannot help themselves. As opposed to trying to beat the addiction on your own and then come to God and go, oh, look it, am I worthy now? Why don't you turn to God and ask him to help you beat the addiction? God never says to us, you're on your own. God says, I am a refuge and a strength. I am an ever-present help in times of trouble. God never says, you know, you just go clean up your act on your own and then come back, maybe we can talk then. God says, while you were still sinners, 
I sent my son Christ to die for you. If you are in trouble today, you need to know that there is a God who is willing and able to help you. And that's good news because you wanna know one of the things that we all have in common? Trouble. Doesn't matter what nationality you are. Doesn't matter what gender you are. Doesn't even matter what your religious beliefs about God might be. We all have trouble. If I were a politician, this might be my slogan. You're gonna have trouble. Elect me and you're gonna have trouble. Maybe even more than you have right now because everyone has it. Some of you are sitting next to your main trouble right now. Don't look at them. But they're trouble sometimes, aren't they? They, they cause you some heartburn and some frustration. Every single one of us has trouble. One of the things that I love about Jesus and about the words of Jesus is I'll be reading them, and sometimes I think to myself, that is so true. And it's quite amazing because I'm reading it on my iPhone or my iPad 2,000 years later, and the words are as true today as they were when they were spoken. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 16. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Another translation says, in this life, you will have trouble. In other words, bank on it. I mean, just book it. It's not if you're gonna have trouble. It's not we'll see if you're gonna have trouble. He says, in this life, you will have trouble. It's odd then that so many of us are surprised when trouble comes our way. We ought to wake up every morning and go, my car didn't break down. It's unbelievable. My HVAC is actually working today. I didn't get struck by lightning. It was a really good day. Years ago, there was a church in Charlotte that did a spoof video on this idea. The video ended up going viral. I want you to take a look. <laughs> I'm alive! I'm alive! Yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, hey, Christine! You're here too! I love you! I know! Dad! What's happening? Honey, the power works! It's coming, it goes on and off! Whatever we want! <laughs> We've got clean water! Oh, that's great. Look at that. Ooh. I bet I know what this does! Rain down the glorious water! Ah, shoes. Oh, what do we got here, guys? Food! Mm, I love food. A mm food? -hmm. Oh, you might have work? This is awesome. Look, look at him. See? The what? John, be careful. Oh, I have a car. Did you guys see this? Yeah, you have a car. Oh, a car. <laughs> and don't forget your coffee. You're the best. Isn't that good? You know, Jesus says in this life, you are going to have trouble. It's odd then that so many of us are surprised when trouble comes our way. Or even that some of us get angry at God when trouble hits our life. You ever met someone like that before? 
something happens and you hear them say things like, well, how could God have allowed? And then fill in the blank with whatever trouble it is that they're facing. Some people even get angry at God to the point where they stop believing in God. And they'll say things like, I can't believe in a God who would, and then fill in the blank with whatever trouble it is that they're facing. And it's amazing because now they're angry at a God that they now claim they don't even believe exists. Who are they angry at? But Jesus says, in this life, in this world, you are going to have trouble. In fact, look at what he says in the entire verse. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world or in this life, you will have trouble. But then Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. Let me ask you, do you have peace? I'm talking about the deep down in your soul kind of peace. If you have that, you would know it. Jesus says to his audience, I have said these things so that you may have peace. And I almost envisioned the audience kind of leaning forward like we would and going, yeah, Jesus, I, I want to know how to have that. And Jesus looks at them and he says, in this life, you're going to have trouble. Cue up the confused looks. <laughs> how, how does that give me peace, Jesus? You're just, that doesn't give me peace at all. You're just reminding me of some of the bad things. But Jesus wants you to know that this is normal. Trouble is normal. Now, sometimes trouble occurs because of our own sin and the consequences that are associated with that. Sometimes it happens because somebody else sins against us, and now you deal with that pain. Other times it's because we live in a sinful and fallen world, but Jesus says, in this life, in this world, you are going to have trouble. But I love what he says next. He says, but take heart. And that's what I believe that God wants to say to some of you today. Take heart. Why? Because this too shall pass? Well, yes, this too shall pass, but that's not the message of Christianity. The message of our faith isn't just grit your teeth, bear it, try to get through it as best you can. The message of our faith is that Jesus Christ has overcome this world. He defeated death. He paid the penalty for our sins. He brought us the hope of eternal life. Jesus has overcome this world. Which brings me back to the verse that I began with. Psalm 46 verse 1 says that God is our refuge and strength. Always ready to help in times of trouble. Do you know that today? Do you know that if you are in trouble that you can call upon God and he will be a refuge, he'll be a protection to you? Do you know that if you're lacking strength that God can fill you with his? Do you know that if you need help of any kind that God is ready and present and willing to help you? In fact, today I'm gonna give you two phrases that I hope you'll put on repeat in your mind. And these are two phrases that you can draw from anytime you feel like you're in trouble or frustrated or disappointed. Here's the first phrase that I hope will help you. It's this, trouble is an opportunity for joy. Look what it says in James chapter one, verse two. James writes, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. That might be the hardest verse in the Bible to actually obey. I mean, who, who does that? Who goes, oh, my washer's flooding. 
It's filling up the whole laundry room. This is going to be such an opportunity for joy. Oh, oh you're going to give the job to that other person? Oh, you're going to give a job to him? Oh, okay. I just want to, I just can't tell you what this is going to do. This is going to be such an opportunity for joy. Thank you so much. I mean, nobody actually lives that way. So what does James mean when he says that trouble is an opportunity for joy? Well, first of all, he doesn't mean just to stick your head in the sand and pretend that everything's going to be okay. He's not talking about minimizing or suppressing your pain. He's not talking about putting on a happy face. Look again at the verb in this verse. He says, let it be. Another translation says, consider it an opportunity. In other words, he's saying, look at this trouble a different way. Consider how this could be an opportunity for your joy. Some of the greatest accomplishments in history, whether it was individuals or businesses, happened as a result of trouble. And someone said, you know what, let's, let's consider that maybe this is an opportunity for innovation. Maybe this is an opportunity to try it a different way. Maybe this is a chance for my character to grow and to be expanded. See, here's what I believe. Joy is a choice. Happiness just kind of happens. You know, you're having good circumstances and you feel this emotion of happiness. Joy is a choice. A hard choice? A choice grounded in Christ? Absolutely. But happiness is based on your circumstances. Joy is based on your perspective. In his book, When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box, author John Ortberg says, saying the phrase, it could be worse, can be a powerful exercise in the development of joy. When Ortberg teaches this to seminars and groups of people, he actually has them say those words out loud. So he says, you know, later today, you're going to go back to your car, and you're going to be tempted to think, oh, if I just had a nicer, newer, more expensive car then I'd be happy. He says, you just need to say these words out loud. Could be worse. He said, you're gonna go over to a friend's house and they're gonna have a nicer, newer, more expensive house than you have. And you just need to say it out loud. It could be worse. Some people look at their spouse and they go, if I just had a nicer, newer, more expensive spouse, <laughs> then I think I'd be happy in life. He says, well, when you wake up in the morning on that pillow, you just need to say it. It could be worse. <laughs> now, I don't necessarily recommend doing that out loud, okay? Some of you pay attention here. Don't take it too literally. But, but you can see how perspective, perspective is what makes the difference. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, Paul writes, for you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, and that is a privilege. He says, but you've also been given the privilege of suffering for him. Now that's a different perspective. Very few people see suffering or trouble as an opportunity. I was talking to a friend of mine recently and he said that in the year 2007, it was the worst year of his life. He and his wife suffered two miscarriages. And if you've ever been through a miscarriage before, you, you know how painful that is. You have these hopes and these dreams and these expectations and this anticipation of what's going to be, and then it's not. And in that same year, his best friend died tragically in a plane crash. 
And I asked him about this. I said, how did you get through that year? And I want to share with you his words. He says, you will suffer. No one wants to. We don't even want to think about it. But if you are alive, you will suffer. He said, the only time you don't suffer is after you die. Think about that. If you're a follower of Christ, you will go to heaven, a place where there's no tears, pain, or suffering. But as long as you're in this world, as long as you're in this life, you will have trouble. He says this, when we suffer, you have a choice. You can turn to God or away from God. He said, my wife and I turned to God. And what we found was that there was a peace and a refining of our soul that we could not get any other way. Friends, trouble can be an opportunity for joy. I hope you'll put that phrase on repeat in your mind. Here's the second phrase to put on repeat in your mind. It's this, my help comes from the Lord. Psalm 121, verse one, David writes, I look up to the mountains, where does my help come from? And maybe you're wondering that same question today. Where, where is my help gonna come from here? Look at how David answers the question. He says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Where's your help gonna come from? Some people think, well, if we get a, a new politician, you know, if we could just elect this person, get rid of that person, then that would help us, right? Other people think, you know, if I could just get a boyfriend or girlfriend, you know, then I'd have so much less trouble in my life. And some of you who have boyfriends or girlfriends are like, eh, maybe, maybe not. You know, we'll see. <laughs> and we think that our help is going to come from a politician or a person. David says, no, 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 it's not coming from there. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. But see, the problem is that some of us don't feel worthy of God's help. We feel like we need to prove ourselves to him or we need to change some things before God would ever consider helping us. But I want to read to you this verse from Hebrews chapter 4. He says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? With confidence. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How many of us today are in a time of need? And you just say, right now, I'm in a place in my life where I'm in a time of need. You need to approach God with confidence not wavering, not wondering, not doubting. You need to approach him with confidence and ask him to help you. But see, the problem for a lot of us is either we don't know if God has the resources, we think, well, he's got bigger issues to deal with, or we're too prideful to ask for help. I was listening to author and speaker Priscilla Schreier tell a story a while back about a family dinner at a fancy steakhouse. And her brother-in-law was there, and he was going through some financial issues, just couldn't really afford that much. But he didn't want to ask her father for help. And he didn't realize that her father was paying for the dinner. So he ended up ordering, like, the tiniest salad on the menu. And I think her dad later told him, like, well, you know I'm paying for this, right? And I think he maybe changed his order. But she later said, you know, isn't that a picture of how some of us are with God? that we don't realize that God has the resources to help us or we're just too proud to ask for help. And one of the reasons why we're so prideful and so proud to ask for help is because we like to be in control. I mean, don't you like to be in control? I, I like to be in control, right? I, in fact, right now as I'm speaking, I'm in control. 
You're not in control. You're, you're, you're not in control. I have the microphone. I can say whatever I want, and everybody's going to hear it. But what you don't realize is that as I'm speaking right now, back at this little booth over here is an audio engineer named Trent. And Trent's in control. I like to think I'm in control. I like to think, you know what, I can say whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. But any time that Trent wants to, he can cut me <laughs> Blah, blah, blah. You're not hearing anything I'm saying. Because here's the truth. I like to think I'm in control. But Trent is the one who's in control. And that's an analogy for our lives. You see, we like to think, oh, I'm in control. I say what I want to say. I do what I want to do. Follow my heart. It's my life. And what you don't realize is that someone that you can't see, someone who you often maybe don't even notice, is really in control. He is the one who keeps the earth spinning. He is the one who keeps your lungs breathing. Everything that you see is controlled by a hand that you cannot see. You can't control your boyfriend or girlfriend. You think, oh, I can help him, I can change him, I can get him to start coming to church. You cannot control them. You can't control your teenage son or daughter. Oh, I'm gonna try, well, you, you can try, but you will not be able to control them. And so we pray, Lord, help me. We pray to the one who is in control, the maker of heaven and earth, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Such a simple and vulnerable prayer. Anyone need to pray that today? Any married couple who this week you just need to hold hands for a brief moment before bed and you just need to pray these words, Lord, help us. I don't know how we got to this spot. I don't know how we're gonna get out of it. We fight, we, we are against each other, but for a brief moment, we're gonna hold hands and we're gonna say, Lord, would you help us? Any parents of teenagers or young kids and there's something in their life that is out of your control? Could be a behavior issue, could be a genetic issue, a health issue, personality issue, something at school, and you just need to pray, Lord, help me. Give me the right words to say at the right time. Maybe there's a kid at school who's just mean to you and makes fun of you and you can't stop that, you can't control that, but you can pray, Lord, would you help me? And he is the maker of heaven and earth. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. He is my refuge. He is my strength. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. So we pray, Lord, help me. Years ago, we had a guest speaker at our church named Kyle Eidelman. And Kyle shared a story that I've never forgotten. It was about a road trip that he took with his family. And so they had driven all day and into the night, and they got to their hotel, and it was late, and so he told all of his kids, hey, just grab your own bag, and we'll, you know, we'll walk on into the hotel. Halfway to the hotel, Kyle looks back, and he sees his four-year-old son. And he's standing next to the car with his bag draped over his shoulder. And he's so tired, he's not even moving. So Eidelman walked back, and he said to his 
four-year-old son, he goes, son, do you, do you need me to carry that for you? Do you need some help? My son kind of nodded and handed him the bag and Kyle threw it over his shoulder and started walking into the hotel. But as he got halfway there, he looked back and his four-year-old son was still standing there next to the car. He was so tired he couldn't even move. And so Eidelman went back and he said, uh, do you need me to carry you too? And Kyle was telling this story years later as his son has now grown up and he said, I would do anything to be able to pick him up and put his head on my shoulder like that again. You know, I believe there are some of us here today who you are so weighed down by trouble. And there's financial trouble and there's relational trouble and there's just all these, it's just weighing you down like a bunch of bags. And I believe that God is approaching you today and he's saying, do you, do you need some help with that? Because I can carry that for you. And some of you might be at such a low place from depression or anxiety or something like that in your life that you go, I don't even know if I can take another step. And God might be saying to you, do you need me to carry you too? Because I can do that. I'm the maker of heaven and earth. I am a refuge. I am a strength. I am an ever-present help in times of trouble. And so today, we are gonna pray, Lord, help me. And to do that, we're gonna celebrate communion with one another. And before you jump into the communion, just hold on to it for a second at all of our campuses. In fact, if you're at a campus where it's ushers, you can come on down, begin passing those out. If you've already received them and you didn't get one, just raise your hand, we'll get that to you. If you're at a campus where it's at the end of your row, go ahead and pass that down. Of course, none of our campuses can do it the same, right? They all have individual expression. So I'm up here just running through a list. Thank you. Uh, But the night before Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. He then took a cup and he raised it and he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. And so we do, we eat and we drink to remember that Jesus did something for us that we could not do for ourselves. He doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who cannot help themselves. And so today, you don't have to be a member of our church to take communion. You do have to be a follower of Christ. But you can peel it back once to get to the bread, another time to get to the juice. But I'm gonna encourage you just to hold it for a moment. And just spend a moment in prayer. Close your eyes and quietly talk to God. And just pray, Lord, help me. Think about that area of your life where you're in trouble right now and, and you can't control it necessarily. You just need to pray, Lord, help me. Remind yourself that trouble is an opportunity for joy and that your help, it's not coming from some achievement or some person. Your help is gonna come from the Lord. And he is the maker of heaven and earth. As all of this is going on, the band's gonna be playing quietly behind us and then they're gonna stand us to sing one closing song.